0: Of what my last two weeks have been like joyous and blessed, and deep sighs. But uh, it was it was a wonderful trip, and uh, again, we are so thankful to you all for letting us be able to get away and do that. And uh, I know that you were blessed as well by Colton and Titus, and so thankful for those young men and what uh, God is doing in their lives and the conduit of His Word that they they were these last two weeks. Um, I <laughs> I kind of had to apologize to Colton. He kind of he got the tough end, the short straw on that. That draw uh, between the names and uh but uh, both of them did a wonderful job and and I'm thankful for them as well, and I know that you were. Uh, Also, Um, if you would turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 15, we're actually going to be skipping around a little bit this morning. Uh, We're going to look a little bit in 15, a little bit in 17, and a little bit in 19 as we uh, kind of take an exploratory view of these chapters. And then in the next couple of weeks, we'll go back and we're going to look at some specifics of uh, of 15, 16, and 17 uh, as well. Uh, but I wanted us to see something interesting in these passages. So many times we can read Joshua chapter 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 and get lost in unusual names and unusual places that may seem to have little, very little to do with us. And yet inside of these, these passages, there are little jewels for us. Little things that the Lord puts there that we can learn from them, that we can understand him better and understand his desires for us better. And so this morning, hopefully you found Joshua chapter 15. If uh, we're going to be looking at verse 13, there are a few names in this passage as well um, that uh, we're going to try to get right and we're going to read fast if we don't. Um, And so if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Joshua, starting in chapter 15, verse 13, according to the commandments of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh a portion among the people of Judah, Karath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shashai, Haman, and Telma, and the descendants of Anak. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was karath Saphir. And Caleb said, whoever strikes karath Saphir and captures it, to him I will give Aksha, my daughter, as wife. And Othniel, the son of Canaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. And he gave him Aksha, his daughter, as wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she got off her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of Nigba, give me also the springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Turn with me now to chapter 17, starting in verse 3. Now, Zelophehad had the son the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of the daughters. Mahala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tezra. They approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the leaders and said the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Thus there fell to Manasseh ten portions besides the land of Gilead and Bashan which is on the other side of the Jordan because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance along with his sons. The people The land of Gilead was allotted to the rest of the people of Manasseh. And then turn with me to chapter 19. We're going to read the last three verses or so of that chapter. It says, When they had finished distributing several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun. By command of the Lord they gave him the city that he asked, Temnath Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt the city and settled in it. These are the inheritances that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers, houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finish dividing the land. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and it is is a special thing. To gather together with the people of God, to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ, of whom you have poured out your blood as a payment, that you may ransom us from our debt, that we may know victory and blessing in your presence. To gather together to hear from the one who loves us so. Father, may we rejoice this morning in that. May we worship in light of it. And may we diligently serve you in all of it. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You have had uh, several uh, months now in Joshua, and as we get started this morning, I just want once again, one last time to, well, probably not, but one more time, not last time, one more time to remind us of kind of a big picture here. At this point in Joshua, we've gone past the conquest stage. We've turned a corner, so to speak, from the major battles of the book that most of us are more familiar with, the Jerichos, the AIs, the five kings at Gibeon, um, the kings of the north, the sun standing still. We've gone past those major conquests that we're familiar with, and we've now moved into a portion of the book that very rarely, if ever, is preached, much less covered in Sunday school material. As one pastor puts it, this is the boring part of Joshua. And yet, in the boring part of Joshua, we still find the Word of God. He did not leave this section out. He did not think, God did not think in his wisdom, well, I don't need to put that in there because a thousand years from now, no one will care. No, he recorded it by his Holy Spirit through the hand of a man That we may read it and know, thus the Lord has spoken. So we must ask ourselves the question when we come to passages like this, what shall we do with it? Well, originally I was basically going to preach the sermon that Colton preached, but that's been taken. So I want us this morning then to look at something in particular. I want us to look at the individuals. As we come to chapter 15, the conquest is mostly over and possession is starting. The land is being broke up. A few weeks ago when we were together last, we looked at two words in particular, lakad and yarash. Lakad is the idea to conquer militarily. Yarash is the idea to occupy After conquest, we are firmly, by chapter 15, in the Yarosh stage of Joshua. It's not just about winning battles, it's about finding a home. No longer is Israel going to be a nomadic people living in tents and raising sheep. Now they are going to plant their own crops in their own fields. They're going to tend their vineyards and harvest their grapes. They're going to have their springs of water and not have to rely on the wells of someone else. They're going to live in their houses and create their homes and have their cities. They're going to do what we call put down roots. It's an incredible moment. If you've ever been a first-time homeowner and yet to experience the uh, upkeep that that takes, <laughs> you know the excitement of the first time that you can walk into a place and call it yours. At least until you know something breaks, and then you're thinking renting didn't sound so bad after all. But that's what these all of the nation of Israel was experiencing in this moment. It's ours. As God is handing out. And it's such an incredible fulfillment of big promises. And uh, Colton and Titus have have done such a good job the last two weeks of of unfolding that idea. Of of these big promises that God had made to Abraham. and, And to Isaac. And to Jacob. And to the nation of Israel. And now these promises are coming true. But it's interesting that as this all unfolds. Over the next several chapters, there are four places where we see individuals in the midst of all of this. Four places that we see individuals in the midst of all these. Individual stories in the midst of the big promises being fulfilled in chapters 15 through 19. Four individuals that we're going to look at today. One is Caleb. We're not going to spend a lot of time on Caleb because you guys covered him last week. But we see the individual story of Caleb. We see the individual story of Othnel and Aksha. We see the individual story of the daughters of Zaloiphaz. Zephal- Z- And we see the individual account of Joshua. Four stories intertwined with the big promises fulfilled in chapters 15 and 19. So let's look at these four individuals quickly if we can. First, we have Caleb. First, we have Caleb. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because Titus did a wonderful job showing and unfolding the story of Caleb last week. But as we look at Caleb, we certainly see uh, God doing some incredible things in, at the end of 14 and in part of 15. First, we see the gift of Hebron. Now, if you know your Old Testament very well, you know that Hebron is not just any place. That it may be second only to Jerusalem in terms of its importance to the people of Israel. Hebron is where Abraham settled long ago. It's where he buried Sarah, his wife. This is for all intensive purposes where he called home while he was living in a land yet to be the promised land. And so when Israel comes back, When the hundreds of years later. And they begin to occupy the land. One of the prized jewels of the land. Would have been Hebron. It would have been a place of military, military importance. It would have been a place of economic importance. But most of all. It was a place of cultural importance to them. And it's given to Caleb. It's given to Caleb. Now. It's given to him, but there is certainly not, it's certainly not free. It's not without its cost in some ways. Because in order to take possession, not just to conquer, but to take possession and to live in Hebron and the surrounding area, then he must conquer the giants. And just as a recap, if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, these are the same giants that Caleb and Joseph once saw 40 years earlier who everyone else was so terrified of that they turned back to the desert to wander for 40 years. And Caleb and Joshua alone said, this is doable because of the God we serve. And now 40 years later, probably closer to 47 years later, Caleb is conquering these giants. He has remained faithful this whole time and by this time he is no young man he is no young man probably closer to 70 or 80 conquering these places and yet he again is faithful it's interesting one commentator says here of Caleb he and we're going to talk about this several times as we go along he is faithful without being presumptuous he knows that God has promised this land. He knows that God is going to give this land, but that does not mean he simply sets back and waits for it, nor does he simply do foolish things so that he may then say, well, God will take care of it, but rather he is carefully obedient and faithful knowing that the Lord will come through. We see in this opening intro God's faithfulness to the faithful. God giving the prize of the land in many ways to a man who had for so long been faithful in his own life. And so we have Caleb here at the beginning of, of this whole thing. It's starting in, at the end of chapter 14 and then again in 15. We have Caleb as the beginning kind of, of this inheritance story. And then we have another group. We have Othniel and Aksha. Aksha is the daughter of Caleb. Othniel, as best we can tell, is his nephew. Kenaz is the brother of Caleb. Othniel is the son of Kenaz. So we have his nephew. Don't get, by the way, carried away with cousins marrying cousins at different time, different place. Don't worry about it. But we have this story of these two individuals. And it's both their story. It's not just Uthnel's story. It's not just Aksha's story. Both of them combined here to God to speak to these two individuals. We have in this account in chapter 15 the passing of the baton so to speak. Throughout Joshua, especially the end of Joshua, you have a problem. Joshua and Caleb are old. Who is going to take their place? Who is going to step up and lead Israel when they're gone? It's the same problem that we have at the end of Numbers and the end of Deuteronomy. Who is going to take Moses' place? And the answer, of course, ends up being Joshua. But now there's a whole new generation coming up behind them. And the question is, okay, who, who is going to lead? And we see the passing of the baton here. As Othmel steps to the plate. Turn with me very quickly to Judges. Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3 starting in verse 7. It says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Kashan Rishatham, the king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Kashan Rishatham eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Who would be this said deliverer? None other than Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave him Kashan Rishotham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over cushan Rishotham, so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. So why does God introduce here Othniel in Joshua it seems, if you're reading the rest of the passage, it seems like a rather random account that we have in chapter 15. And yet it is the introduction of the next generation, of the one who would stand in the gap for Israel before the Lord. So we have a passing of the baton. We have a wise daughter and wife. She comes and she comes to her husband and she tells Othniel, "Hey, Dad has given us this land, but we need to ask for a little bit more. Why? Well, the land, we don't know this because we don't know the names and places that are listed here. But the idea that we understand if we dig a little deeper um, into the locations that are described here is that the place that they were given was a good place. It was a good place to settle, but it had no water sources. And this young woman understood that if they were to be fruitful in their new home that they had to have water they had to have the water and so she tells her husband you need to go ask for this othnell we're not sure exactly what his response is we just know that akhsha ends up being the one to go ask she says you need to go ask dad for this and the next thing that it says is that she gets off her donkey and Caleb says what do you want i i don't know i Othniel in the rest of scripture does not appear to be a chicken. Uh, he defeats this very difficult city apparently for Caleb. Wins the hand of this wonderful young lady. And then in Judges he takes on the king of Mesopotamia. So he doesn't appear to be someone that is easily frightened. Uh, unless it's his father-in-law. Okay maybe this is making more sense now. And, he, and so his wife is the one that goes. And she asks. And we see In her asking, not only her wisdom, but we see the generosity of a father, the faithfulness of a father to his daughter. Again, if you'll remember, and if you've you've been with us any length of time, you know that oftentimes daughters were somewhat forgotten in this day and age, and yet here is a dad who wants to care for his family. It's so not only a picture of how we are to treat our families, but, and, but it is a picture of how God chooses to treat us. If we will just ask. So we have the generosity of the Father, and in the end, this gives us a picture of God's faithfulness to the next generation. Sometimes we get distraught, and we think, who will stand in the gap? Who will be next? And we simply must ask the Lord to be faithful. And he will. He will. So we have God's faithfulness to the faithful in Caleb. We have God's faithful to the next generation in Othniel and Akshah. And then we have the story of the daughters of Zephala Had Looking there again in chapter 17, let me reread just part of that. It says, now Zephalah, Zeph- so had the son, the son of Hephir, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters, and these are the names of his daughters, Mahila, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tezra. They approached Eleazar the priest the Joshua, and Joshua the son of Nun, the leaders, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father." So we have here with these ladies God's faithfulness once again to the individual. You'll remember the original problem, and they actually restate the original problem there in 17. But at the end of Numbers, these daughters come to Moses and they say, Look, dad has been a faithful servant to you. He was not one of the ones that said turn back. He was one of the ones that said we should go on. But he has no son, so his name is going to be forgotten. His family tribe is not going to be able to carry on. And so God tells Moses the right Give them an inheritance along with the other families. And so that promise is made. Not by Moses, but by the very mouth of God. And now we find ourselves probably somewhere between seven and eight years later. And these young ladies, sorry, these young ladies come these young ladies come to Joshua and Eleazar, and they say, Hey, do you, remember, do you remember what was promised to us? They had waited patiently. Waited patiently for this inheritance. Waited patiently for their names to be remembered. And now they come not out of bitterness from anything we can tell. But they come just out of a reminder. Hey Joshua, do you remember what God said? Hey Eleazar, do you remember what God said? And they are rewarded because of it. Because of their patience. Because of their thoughtfulness. We see God's faithfulness to an old promise. Maybe you're here this morning and. The Lord has been working in your life for a long time, and you know that there are promises that He has given you, things that He has led you to, but you have been waiting and waiting and waiting. And this morning, you need to be reminded that the Lord fulfills His promises. Sometimes it's not in the timing we would like. Sometimes we have to remind others, hey, remember that this is where we were going. This is what the plan was. But that if we will be patient and wait on the Lord, that he is faithful to his word. So we have faithfulness to the faithful. We have faithfulness to the next generation. We have faithfulness to an old promise and then lastly we have the story of Joshua. Turn with me again to 19. There at the end of much of the end of the land distribution really. It says in verse 49, when they had finished distributing several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Tentha Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt the city and settled there. We see in Joshua a humble leader. Joshua very easily and maybe even rightly could have said, Look, I've been leading you band of ragtags now for several years. I've dealt with, with the times of good and I've dealt with you in times of stubbornness. I'm going to take what's rightfully mine. I would like payment at this point. And he could have taken anything. He could have taken Jericho. He could have taken Hebron, that jewel of the the world. He could have tried to go after Jerusalem. He could have taken the best of the coastal lands. He could have taken the timbers of Lebanon. He could have done whatever he wanted. But what does it tell us? Scripture tells us that he waited. He waited until all the land had been distributed, until a home had been found for the rest of the people, he waited. And finally at the end, when Israel comes to him and says, and we get the sense, by the way, that it's the, the, name, the word of the God that comes to them and says, hey, you need to do this. It's almost like God had to remind them, by the way, Joshua has been pretty important to you. Maybe you should do something for him. And they come to Joshua and they say, what would you like Notice the place that he picks here. It says that he asked for Timnah, Sarah, and the hill country of Ephraim. I'm sure many of you are like, oh, yeah, beautiful country. I know exactly where that's at. This is what you need to know about Timnah, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim. It was rural. It was nowhere. He could have asked for a political seat anywhere he wanted it. Joshua just wanted to slip quietly away. It's not close to any place of power. It's not super close to any trade route, so to speak. It's actually somewhat in the middle of the hill country. It's somewhat just as far away from everything as you could get and still be in Israel. This was his chance for rest. He did not seek more power. He did not seek to become king. He did not seek for glory and fame. He just sought to retire quietly with his family. And the Lord grants that. Rest at last. And faithfulness to an old friend. Joshua had served well for decades. Remember, Joshua is one of the ones that probably one of the very few, if not one of maybe two, that remembers slavery. That remembers all that Moses did and all that God did in Egypt. That remembers the parting of the Red Sea. He was Moses' right-hand man throughout the desert to the point that It's interesting that it talks about Moses going into the tent and that God would meet him there and that they would converse and then the presence of God would leave and Moses would leave and Joshua would stay in the tent soaking it all in. It's Joshua who the Lord appears to and says, do not fear. Joshua who led his people into battle time and time again when the odds seemed insurmountable. Joshua who pointed Israel back to the Lord again and again and again. And now the Lord rewards his faithful servant and friend by allowing him this quiet place out of the way. It's a tangible reminder of what we have been promised if we serve faithfully. And so what do we do with these four things, these four examples of God's faithfulness to individuals? Not just to the body at large, not just to Israel at large, but God's faithfulness to the individual. Well, let us be reminded of his faithfulness to you. Of his call to come. Matthew chapter 11 Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friend, you may be here and you may be heavy laden, and burdened for a whole host of reasons. And the Lord has put these stories in Joshua that he may remind you of his faithfulness to you as an individual, that he may remind you of his love for you as an individual. And he is calling to you this morning, come and find rest. Come and find more than what this life has given you so far. It's not a promise of ease. You look at the life of Caleb, you look at the life of Othniel and Akshah, you look at the daughters of Zelophehad. you look at Joshua's life, the calling of God is not always a calling of ease. There are battles to be fought, victories to be won, giants to be faced, fields to be planted. Grief and mourning at times, yes. It is not always a promise of ease, but it is a promise of blessing, both now and in the future. We're going to end with these two verses. John 10, 10. Is the first, John, as Jesus speaks of being the shepherd and being our salvation. And he says in verse ten ten, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He has a call of blessing for your life right now. For you to know him and know the beauty of your creator and the wonderful love of a savior. To know the guidance of the one who created life. So many times we look at scripture and we think of it as a burden of rules and guidelines that make life more difficult. And yet it's exact opposite. My, I shared this at Baccalaureate, so if you were there, I apologize for the repeat, but uh, my daughter has fallen in love with a cartoon called Bluey. It's a little dog and her family, and they talk, and they're from Australia. That's all you need to know. <clears throat> but in one of the episodes, one of Bluey's friends is playing a game, and she keeps trying to break the rules to make the game easier or to win the game. And Bluey keeps getting upset with her. You can't break the rules. They're there for a reason. Until finally at the end of the game when they've succeeded by following the rules. And they've seen over and over that those rules actually make a difference. the, The little friend realizes that's why we don't break the rules. Because the rules are what make the game enjoyable. The rules are what make the game meaningful so that when you get to the victory part you can look back and be elated and not think to and not guilt-ridden Brothers and sisters we have the one who created the game not that life is a game but you understand what I'm trying to get at we have the one who created life and he has yes put in some stipulations and some guidelines and some rules And let us, as lovers of Christ, not look to this word and think, oh my goodness, what burden it places upon us. But rather, let us look at it and say, He has designed this for our enjoyment, for life, and life abundantly. It's a promise of blessing in the here, and it is a promise of blessing in the end. Revelation chapter 21. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One day, brothers and sisters, the battle will be over. And just as with Joshua, God will look at those who have remained faithful to him, who have put their faith and trust in him, And he will say, enter into your reward. And it will not be some intangible greeting card of a reward. It will be a new earth that is perfect. A new life that never fades. It will be the place where we will put down roots for all eternity this morning I just want to invite you to respond to God's word this morning maybe you can identify with one of these four individuals maybe this morning you feel lost in the crowd you feel like God has overlooked you and this morning God's word is speaking to you and saying I have not forgotten you I pray that you would respond to that this morning. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of that response. You can stand and sing with us in thankfulness to God. You can come to the altar and pray. You can come grab me or somebody else. But this morning, we're just going to have a time of response. I pray that if you have never trusted him, not just believed in him. Many of us believe. You probably aren't sitting in this room this morning if you don't believe. But truly trusted him and followed him. Where your life is different because of who Christ is to you. Then this morning that you would make that commitment. That you would understand the blessings that we've talked about this morning. The faithfulness of God to those that follow him. I pray that if you are here this morning you are waiting. That you would hold on to him. Let's pray. Father we come before you this morning and we thank you for the love and the mercy and the grace that you have shown each one of us. Lord, we are thankful that you are faithful to the individual, just as you are faithful to the group. Lord, you are faithful to your church. You love your church. You will make sure that your church succeeds, but you are equally faithful to the individual who puts their faith and trust in you. Father, I pray that we would desire more of that, that we would face the giants, that we would grab hold of your promises, that we would wait for you in a way that honors you and glorifies you, knowing that one day that we will enter in to your presence, enter into the reward and the rest that you have promised. Father, I pray that you would do all of this in our hearts today. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.